Valles. You're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. chapter 28 verses 9 and 10 says whom shall he teach knowledge and whom shall he make to understand doctrine and then he answers the question them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts for precept must be upon precept precept upon precept line upon line line upon line here a little and there a little So if you're serious about your walk with God, and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible. Tell a friend about this study. Tell your pastor about this study. And let's get into God's Word, line upon line. Yes, thanks for joining us again. Last week we were in Luke chapter 14. This week we'll be into Luke chapter 15. Let's open with a word of prayer and then get into today's study. Our Heavenly Father, we pause before beginning this study to ask your blessing to come down upon us. We pray, Father, that you'll bless everyone who is listening to this study, who is listening to your word. We pray, Father, that you will draw them from the breast, draw them from the milk, and help them to develop an appetite. Help all of us, Father, to develop an appetite for the meat of your word. We ask, Father, that you would deepen our understanding, that you would deepen our faith, and that you would lead us to true and full repentance. We thank you, Father, in advance, and we ask all of this in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Well, yes, we're into Luke chapter 15. And what I want to do, uh, because the Bible, I like to say this, the Bible is not Twitter. And I think many of you are familiar with the social media platform, Twitter, where uh, I think it's 140 characters. They may have uh, given, they may have increased that a little bit. But you you say what you have to say in very few characters. And uh, in a small paragraph or a small sentence or two, that's what you have to say. Well, that can work for for human beings with small minds. But here we're dealing with the mind of God. And and we cannot just take a verse and, and believe that, you know, we can just treat it like it's Twitter, like that verse just stands by itself. No, every verse belongs to every every sentence belongs to a verse every verse to a paragraph every paragraph belongs to a book the book belongs to a library of books and so we have to have this uh, ability to grasp all of god's words in its in, in their context in order to really understand so we're going to go into luke chapter 15 
But before we do, I just want to back up to give context to what Christ is going to be talking about in Luke chapter 15. And let's go back to Luke 11, verse 52, where we see Christ is having this conflict with the scribes and the Pharisees. And, and as he's concluding this conflict in chapter 52, he says, Woe unto you, lawyers! Woe unto you! He's cursing them. Woe unto you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in, you hindered. So this is, this is the context of what we're going to see uh, culminating in, in Luke 15, is this conflict that he has with the scribes and the Pharisees. And here he's accusing them of taking away the key of knowledge, not entering in themselves, and, and those that are following them that would have entered in, they're preventing them from entering in. So the whole nation is, is cursed as a result of their leadership. And then in verse 53, And as he said these things unto them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. So, so there's this conflict now between rabbi and rabbi as to who is the true teacher of God. And he is cursing them for, for, for their hypocrisy and, and, and their uh, destructive leadership. And they now, not wanting to be embarrassed and wanting to retain respect among the people, are trying to see if they can catch him out in something so that they can discredit his ministry. Then we come to chapter 12 and verse 1. And this we were here a couple of weeks ago. He says, in the meantime now, while all of, all of this is going on, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they tread one upon another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, so this is a teaching that he's going to spread further, but he taught it to his disciples first. So he's in this conflict with the scribes and Pharisees. While, he's, while this conflict is going on and they're trying to catch him out in something, this, this innumerable multitude begins to follow him because they, they are really attracted by his teachings and certainly by his miracles. And when there are such a big crowd that they're, they're trampling on one another, then he turns to his disciples and he says, Beware you of the leaven of the Pharisees. So beware of the leaven, which is uh, yeast. It's something that you put in dough to cause the dough to, to, to rise so that you have like a soft cake or a soft bread. And he says to his disciples, in, 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 as these, these, all these people are gathering around him, and while he's in conflict with the scribes and Pharisees, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And then he tells them what it is, which is hypocrisy. So you, my disciples, be very careful not to be seduced or overtaken by hypocrisy. And you know, that's, that's one of the big things in religion. Anybody who says to you they're religious, uh-oh, hypocrisy. This, this is a hard path that we are on. And most people are hypocrites, and most leaders are hypocrites. And certainly that was the case here in this, this, this nation of the very covenant people of God. The leaders were hypocrites. And then he goes on to explain in verse 2, For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. So right now, these Pharisees have done a very good job of hiding what is truly in their hearts. But, but Christ is saying to his disciples, be careful. Because as much as they're doing a great job of hiding and they're fooling the people and people really looking up to them as the leaders of God, be careful. Because everything's going to come out in time. And so if you end up like them, you're going to be as cursed as they are. Then we went to chapter 13. And in chapter 13, verse 1, 
you remember that there were present at that season some that told Christ of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So there they are sacrificing to God and taking these animals and, and cutting, you know, slitting them, and, and there's all the animals' blood everywhere. And, and Pilate comes in and he slaughters them and mixes their blood with the animals' blood. So it's like, wow, these people must have been really evil for God to so publicly reject their sacrifices, so publicly reject their offerings. And yet Jesus says to them in verse 2, And Jesus answering said unto them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? And he says to them, I tell you, no, except you repent, all of you, all of you will likewise perish. And so you, you remember back in chapter 11, when he cursed the, the scribes and the Pharisees, and he told them, you won't enter in, but you're preventing everyone else to enter in as well. So the whole nation is cursed. And now Christ is speaking to the whole nation and saying, don't think that the, the, the tragedy that befell these Galileans or, or the ones that were in Jerusalem and the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Don't think for a minute that the, the, the tragedy that they suffered is somehow unique to them and you're okay. All of you are in the depth of evil and you all need to repent. Otherwise, woe unto all. There, there is, Christ can see the future and he knows the prophecies that are in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Micah, and, and, and Amos, and all the prophets, they were all telling them, if unless you repent, tragedy is going to wipe you out, and specifically those in Jerusalem, the, 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 the capital city of the whole earth, and the head people, the people God has selected to be in Jerusalem, to lead the earth to God, that because they have broken the covenant, there is a tremendous battering that's going to come down upon them and christ is coming to lead them to repentance if they will and then in verse 15 of chapter 13 he says the lord answered them and said so this this is now where uh he healed the woman that was bent over for 18 years she was crippled for 18 years and she healed him and the leader of the synagogue took exception to that and now he says in verse 15 then the lord answered him and said you hypocrite so he's, he's saying to this the disciples these Pharisees suffer from hypocrisy. They suffer from a, a leaven which puffs them up. You, if you're going to be my disciples, don't go that way. Beware of them. And so now we have to keep that in mind because this is the context. The context really begins with this conflict that Christ has with the scribes and Pharisees where they're now trying to discredit him and he is very clearly putting them in their place. And he's turning to the disciples and saying, don't be like them. And so now he's going to explain to them this, this hypocrisy and how it, how, how, what to look for. And so here, as he heals this woman on the Sabbath day and the, the leader of the synagogue uh, condemns him, he turns to, them, to him and says, you hypocrite, this is the leaven, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water it? So you will do work on the Sabbath and you will look after your animals. And it's not so much that you care for the animal but you care for your wealth. You care for your income. You care about your stomach. And so you're going to do work on the Sabbath to look after your stomach because your God is your stomach. And yet you're going to come on into the temple and you're going to wear the long robes 
and you're going to present yourself to the people as if you're some really pious person, and you're going to tell them to be cautious about the Sabbath. Meanwhile, you actually you're actually doing work on the Sabbath for your own self. I am working on the Sabbath to heal this woman to bless her. Now, there's no benefit to to Christ in in healing the woman. It's just his compassion for her, whereas these people have no compassion, and their their God is themselves, which is hypocrisy. And then in verse 18, now this is really important. In Luke 13, verse 18, he said, "Unto what is the kingdom of God like?" And what shall I resemble it? Whereunto shall I resemble it? And then he explains. It's like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast in his garden, and it grew, and it waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. So it starts at the smallest possible start, which is Christ himself. Christ coming as a man, as a humble servant, who is going to be slaughtered, and that's the beginning of the kingdom. And from there, as long as we, his disciples, avoid the leaven of the Pharisees, and we become an extension of his ministry, this is where the kingdom of God grows. But then he goes on and he says, and he said again, and again he said, whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? Then he says this very strangely, it is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. So on the one hand, he says, it's like a mustard seed, which a man cast in his garden. That man is God. The garden is Judah. And God put Christ in Judah. And that's where it begins. On the other hand, now we have a woman. He says it's like leaven. After just telling the, his, his disciples, beware of leaven. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now he says the kingdom of God is like leaven, which a woman took. This is a, a woman represents false religion false religious, false piety, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. So this is something else now. And, and leaven very clearly to the Jewish mind is representation is a representation of sinfulness. So we can't read this to say, oh, it's like leaven and you, you put it in and, and suddenly uh, it just grows and that's the kingdom of God. No, that growth was the mustard seed. This growth is something else. This growth is hypocrisy. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, which he's teaching his disciples. And now he's showing his disciples the kingdom of God is about conflict. On the one hand, you have the true followers of God that begin with the uh, God. This, this kingdom begins with the smallest start. God coming to earth as a man, as a humble servant that will be sacrificed. That's where it starts. And as long as we are aware and avoid the leaven of the Pharisees, we can be a part of that growth. On the other hand, there is conflict because there's this false woman who comes and hides. She comes secretly and she hides the leaven in three measures of meal. We said those three measures of meal are Judah, Israel, and the Gentiles. So it doesn't matter who God calls. This, 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 this leaven of hypocrisy penetrates us all until the whole is leavened. And then in verse 23, we know that we the disciples understood. The disciples understood because here in verse 23, he says, Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? That he understood exactly what Christ was saying, that there's this conflict between the positive forces that are engaged in the kingdom and those that are in the community 
but they're actually working against the, the kingdom. And so he says, Lord, well, are there few that be saved? And then he goes on to explain. But if we go back to Luke 11, we'll understand this conflict because Christ has already raised it. When they accused him of casting out demons in Beelzebub's name, in verse 17 of Luke 11, he said, But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. So, obviously, there's conflict in the work. There's the, there's the work, there's, there's the force or the energy that comes from the mustard seed, and then there's the force or the energy that comes from the leaven. And these are two separate, these are two totally different kingdoms. The leaven, the whole thing is, it, you know, all three measures, it grows huge, and it looks like it's going to be successful. But the mustard seed begins very small, and this is the force that's going to be successful. And it is not the same energy, it is not the same source, it's not the same origin as the kingdom of darkness. He says, if Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God has come upon you. There's a conflict. You're not the same. You, you look the same. You, you speak the language, you quote the scripture, but you are not of this kingdom that is growing. You, you're of another, you're of the, king, the kingdom of your father, the devil. But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong, man, when a strong armed man keeps his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he takes from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divides his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathers not with me scatters. So very clearly from, from chapter 11, the disciples understand that there are these contradictory forces at work as Christ sets about to establish the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is like this. It begins from a mustard seed, and from that it's going to grow into a giant tree that benefits the whole world. But it's also this kingdom of God is a struggle because this woman comes and she hides the, 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 the leaven in the three measures of meal. And that's why Christ, when he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and then he went on to say in verse 2 of chapter 13, because there is nothing hid that shall not be revealed. And then he shows, him how the, shows his disciples how the leaven will be hid. The woman will come sneaking in and hiding it in the three measures of meal. But he's saying to his disciples, it's all going to be exposed. So you watch yourself and don't be hypocrites. Then going on in Luke 13, again, just getting the context for chapter 15, he says in verse 28, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This, this thing is very, very frightening. That the kingdom of God is coming. And those who were invited to participate in the kingdom, those who are part of the covenant, are going to be rejected. And we are going to see with our own eyes, and God forbid that it's any of us, but we are going to see with our own eyes, weeping and gnashing of teeth, as they are rejected, when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. No, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. This is serious, and they've got to decide what side of the fence they're going to be on. Nevertheless, he says, I must walk today and tomorrow, 
and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perishes outside of Jerusalem. It must be that he he is he meets his demise in Jerusalem, because there is a curse upon Jerusalem because of the evil of these people in the city of Jerusalem. And so he's saying, you know what? I, 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 as much as yeah, Herod's going to come and try to kill me, I've got to, I've got to get to Jerusalem because that's where I have to die. And then he says in verse thirty-four, "O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which kill." And you, you, you hear the pain in his voice. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which kills the prophets and stones them that are sent unto you. How often I would have gathered your children together, as a hen does gather her brood under her wings, but you wouldn't have it. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. There is a curse upon the city of Jerusalem pronounced by Christ himself. And verily I say unto you, you shall not see me until the time come when you shall say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. So on the one hand, in the very same verse, verse 35, we hear the Lord curse Jerusalem with a, with a terrible curse. It, it, it's going to be terrible what we see happening. And what happened in 70 AD, that was just a, a dress rehearsal of what is going to happen yet in the future. And so it's going to be terrible upon Jerusalem. But in the same verse, he says, you won't see me again until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. So it shows that there will be repentance in Jerusalem. That this uh, severe spanking that Jerusalem is going to get is going to lead them to a heartfelt repentance. And then God will turn to them and then God can use them. And this is in all the prophets, beginning with Moses in Deuteronomy. If you read Deuteronomy 30 very carefully. And then all the prophets, they all see this time, whenever they're speaking of Jerusalem, that it will encounter severe retribution, but that will lead to repentance and God will restore Judah and ultimately Israel. Then very quickly in chapter 14, before we come into 15 now, he says in verse 11, again, he tells the uh, disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. So that's the topic, because there's nothing hid that will not be exposed. And then here in chapter 14 and verse 11, he says, whosoever exalts himself shall be abased. So he saw how the, uh, the Pharisees and their guests were all vying for the best seats. And he's, saying, he's showing his disciples, this is all leaven. It's all arrogance. It's all self-exaltation. It's all idolatry. They're worshiping themselves instead of worshiping God, even though they're presenting themselves as pious. And so he's saying to his disciples now, for whosoever exalts himself shall be humiliated. And he that humbles himself shall be exalted. So beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And then in verse 16 of Luke 14, he says, A certain man made a great supper and invited Ben. And so then we, we went, he went through the whole process then of how they made various excuses because their heart was not where God's heart is. And they didn't really care. They had their own priorities because they're worshiping themselves. And he's exposing this leaven in the human heart. And then in verse 25, and there went great multitudes with him. So now, again, great multitudes are following. A lot of people think that this uh, work of Christianity, this work of preaching the gospel, is about building mega churches. And how big is your church? Well, my church is bigger than your church. Well, when Christ came, he didn't care about numbers. In fact, he was very careful not to build a big church, to, to, to select very carefully. And with one exception, of, well, even that was careful. One of them was a devil. But that was necessary. But he was very careful about the men that he selected. 
And here in verse 25, there went great multitudes with him. So huge crowds are following him. Isn't that something like, wow, your preaching is really effective. This is wonderful. Look how big the church is growing. Well, when great multitudes went with him, he turned. And he says to them, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Turn back. Go away. Go away. I'm not looking for hypocrites. If you're going to be my disciple, you can't worship yourself. You can't put yourself first. If you're going to follow God, then God must be your God. And I must be first in your life. And anybody else is a distant second. He says, and whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. And then he explains this, for which of you intending to build a tower sits not down first and count the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he's laid the foundation, he's not able to finish it. All that behold, he begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and wasn't able to finish. So it's a very public humiliation because he didn't think it through. Or what king going to make war against another king? And remember in Luke 11, he showed us uh, when they were accusing him of uh, uh, casting out devils by the devil. He says, well, you know, if the kingdom is divided, then it's going to collapse. I'm of a different kingdom. And I'm going to war against your king. And so that's what he's now speaking about here. What king going to war against another king sits not down first and considers whether he'll be able with 10,000. So again, he doesn't have, he's not going for the hugest, the biggest number. He's got 10,000 to meet him that comes with 20,000. So he knows that the devil has the majority. The devil has most people. And so he's got to say, okay, can I beat the devil? With the few that I have, I have less forces. So I've got to calculate this. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends an embassy and desires conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Don't play. This is not a game. This is not a joke. Don't think you can pretend to be a Christian and it's not going to be exposed because Christ needs Christians that are followers, disciples, that are ready to go into battle. And he's not going to go into battle with hypocrites. But I thought I could rely on this person. And when push comes to shove, it's exposed now. They're a hypocrite. So he, there's all these crowds following, wanting to be his disciple. Go away. If, if, if you are not going to put me first, go away. I'm not interested in numbers, quantity. I'm interested in quality. So in the same way, whosoever he be of you, that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. And then we end the chapter with him saying, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? How, how, how do you, there's nothing, it, it's supposed to do the seasoning, so there's nothing we can season salt with. It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And, and the, the, the response of the disciples should be, Lord, are there few there be that be saved? Like, you're making it very, very clear. This is not about numbers. And in fact, the vast majority look like they're heading for, for destruction. So he's making, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. So with that as context now, let's go into chapter 15, chapter 15, verse 1. 
Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. So, so the Pharisees are trying to catch him out. They're in conflict with him. But here the publicans and sinners want to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And again, back here in the Middle East, uh, this culture, for you to sit down and eat with someone, it's to really show that you have affinity with that person. You're, you're building a bond. You're building a relationship with them. It's not like our culture where there's fast food. And, you know, you might see somebody in a McDonald's or a Burger King or a Taco Bell or whatever these fast food joints are. And just because they're in there, you see somebody in there with them. It doesn't mean there's any kind of relationship there. But in this culture, food is a big deal. And it's cooked slowly and it's prepared and, and the meals are lengthy. And, and so to eat with somebody, you're building a relationship with them. And here these holy, holy men, they would never do that. They're these publicans and sinners. They're just beneath us. So then he spoke this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. So he's saying the same thing that he said earlier, that when I healed on the Sabbath, you accused me of breaking the law. And yet you yourselves on the Sabbath will loose your ox, you'll loose your donkey, you'll leave it to the water, and you're willing to do that work for the benefit of yourself. Now, if you had 99, if you had 100 sheep, and one of them went astray, you would leave the 99 and you would go and find that sheep because this is, this is expensive, this is your livelihood. And so you would go and you would find that lost sheep. And when he has found it, verse 5, he lays, on, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. So you're up and down the mountains trying to find where is the sheep and when you find it, there's just so much joy and you put it on your shoulders. Now that doesn't mean that the 99, you've just left them to the wolves. No, you would make sure that you have somebody who's going to look after those 99 in your absence while you then go and, and, and find the one that's missing. And when you find that one that's missing, you're so happy. There's so much joy. So you're now looking at me eating with the publicans and sinners. Well, let me have you consider your role as a shepherd, which these again are Pharisees who are very knowledgeable of the law, very knowledgeable of these scriptures, very knowledgeable of the prophets. And so this is an illusion back to Ezekiel 34, where God likens the, the spiritual leaders of his people to shepherds and his people to sheep. And in Ezekiel 34, verse 1, he says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus says the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flocks? So you want to talk about eating and, and who you eat with? And you're supposed to be shepherds? Aren't you supposed to be feeding the flocks? You eat the fat and you clothe with the wool. You kill them that are fed, but you feed not the flock. You're neglecting your duty as shepherds. The disease you have not strengthened, neither have you healed that which was sick, Neither have you bound up that which was broken, neither have you bound again that which was driven away. Neither have you sought that which was lost. So this you, you, you are just neglecting your role as a shepherd. You won't, you won't look after those that are sick, 
you won't feed them, and them that are lost you couldn't care less. But with force and cruelty have you ruled them. Again, going back to Luke chapter 11 when this conflict started, when he says, you, you yourselves will not go in, and you're hindering those who would go in. You're ruling them with force and cruelty, and you're putting burdens on them that are that no man can bear. And verse 5, Luke, Ezekiel 34, verse 5, And they were scattered because there is no shepherd. And they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. It's because of you leaders that my people are vulnerable, that my people are being eaten up. Verse 6, Ezekiel 34, verse 6, My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth, and none did search or seek after them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. And so then he goes on to curse them for that word of the Lord. Now, So these shepherds who refuse to eat with God's people, God is not then just showing them that <laughs> I'm eating with these publicans and sinners because as the good shepherd, that is my job. That's what I was sent to do, to, 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 to recover the lost sheep. And so that's where he's saying then that they will, all these people will suffer loss. Now, Let me just, I just lost my place here. Yeah, Luke 15. So Luke 15, verse 8. So then he starts off with the, the analogy of the, the sheep, the hundred sheep. And so the, he's likening the publicans and sinners to sheep. And he's likening the Pharisees to shepherds. And he's showing them that they have neglected their shepherd duty. And that's why the sheep are public. That's why they're sinners. That's why they're doing wrong. You should have been guiding them. And so he's there eating with them, building relationship with them to guide them to what is right. Continuing now in verse 8 of uh, Luke 15, he says here, Either what woman, having ten pieces, and sorry, I just want to make sure that I haven't uh, missed the verse. Luke 15, and we got down. Yeah, sorry, I did miss a verse. Verse 7. So, um, well, let's go back to verse 6. So, he, he, verse 5, he, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. So this is why there's, there's meals and joy, because these people who are lost are coming. I say unto you that likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. So if you're not rejoicing over the, those who are repenting, you're not in sync with the God of heaven because he, with his angels in heaven, are rejoicing. So you must be in sync with the devil. And then he's saying, you know, this one that repents, there's more joy over the one that repents, over the 99 just persons which need no repentance. But we know that they actually do need repentance because he said earlier in Luke 13, verses 1 and 2, I, I tell you, and, and 3, I tell you, no, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So they all, the whole flock, needs to repent. But he's saying how they see themselves. They see themselves as righteous, and they don't think they have any need of repentance. So then he goes on now in verse 8. 
either what woman having 10 pieces of silver, so he's gone or 99 to 1 to now 9 to 1. So it's becoming more precious. The loss is becoming more precious now. Or, or either what woman having 10 pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doesn't light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. So you know that. If, you, if, you, if, if your wives have a, a precious piece of metal, a piece of silver, uh, 10 pieces, and she loses one, don't, don't you see how she will search the whole house until she finds it? And verse 9, and when she has found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together saying, rejoice with me. For I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. So again, we have to ask our question, these religious leaders, if they're not joyful over this repentance that's taking place in Judah, but God and his angels in heaven are, then who are they following? And then he goes on in verse 11, and he says, and he said, a certain man had two sons. So he's gone from 99 to 1 to 9 to 1. Again, just showing you how precious the one that is lost is. Now he comes down to 2 to 1. That there's two and one was lost. And now he's going to tell this story. But before we go into the story, let's go back to show this. That What he's showing is that the nation is split in two. The nation is split in two. And we actually got a hint of that coming when we were in chapter 2 at the very beginning of this gospel, Luke 2, verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. So he understood the prophecies that as much as Israel had to be punished and subjugated and oppressed and slaughtered, that the prophet said that there would be comfort for Israel. There would be a consolation in Israel. So this man who was very righteous, knew the scriptures, studying the scriptures, that's what he was waiting for. When will Israel be comforted? How will she be comforted? How will she be restored? And so he was in Jerusalem. He was a just and devout man. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So, so God had given him this blessing because of his relationship with God that, okay, before you die, you're going to see how Israel will be comforted. You're going to see the Messiah. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he, he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord now let your servant depart in peace. So he wasn't afraid of death. He was happy to go to the grave, especially now that he had seen how Israel would be consoled, how Israel would be comforted. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. And notice he didn't say, uh, I, I, I need to understand how we're all going to go to heaven. How is it that the nation of Israel will go to heaven? He's familiar with the scriptures, searching the scriptures backwards and forwards. And what he wants to know is, how is the kingdom of God going to come to earth? And how is Israel going to be set up as the head nation on the earth? Because that's what the scriptures say. And so now he says, he doesn't say, Lord, let me now go to heaven. He knows that God is coming to earth. 
And so, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word. Because there was this understanding that the Spirit gave him that he, he, could, he wouldn't die until he saw how Israel was going to be comforted. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. This is the salvation. This is what all the prophets spoke about when they spoke of the salvation. Salvation takes place on earth, in Israel, for the whole world. He doesn't say, oh, now I see how we're all going to fly off to heaven. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people. And again, he's quoting the prophets. This is what God said in the prophets, that this nation will be set up as the head nation, a nation of kings and priests for the whole earth. And the whole earth will gather together and come to this nation in order to understand how to have a relationship with God. And that's where he goes on to say, it's a light to lighten the Gentiles. So very clearly he understood that this salvation would bring light to the Gentiles. And the glory of your people Israel, that God is glorified in Israel. And so Israel needed to be set up to be so God can be glorified in Israel. He's the God of Israel. He's the Holy One of Israel. And at the same time, when he's glorified in Israel, that becomes a light to the Gentiles. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yes, a sword shall pierce through your soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So, so Simeon understood Israel's going to split in two. There are going to be those that, when they really come to examine their heart, they're going to come to full repentance, and they're going to follow the Lord, and they're going to be exalted in the Lord. And there are those who are going to be in opposition to the Lord. And so the nation is, Christ is going to become a polarizing figure. And the nation is going to be split in two over him. And so this is what Christ is saying, that there's two sons. And there's two camps in Israel. Half of them are rebels, and half of them are coming to repentance. And so if one of these rebels comes over and repents, imagine the joy. And so back to Luke 15, verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. This is, a, <laughs> this is a profound insult in Israel. What he's really saying to his father is, Dad, I can't wait for you to die. You're taking too long to die. I know I'll get the inheritance once you die, but come on already. And so it's a very deep insult, a very hurtful thing for a son to say to his father, that go, go ahead and give me my portion now. And so the father divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. So go and feed the pigs. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks. So he, he, he was desired. He wanted to fill his stomach with the husks that the swine did eat. So he's, he's supposed to feed this food to the swine. He's in such uh, an impoverished state that he's looking at the swine food. And, and it's looking pretty good. 
Yeah, and so he's he's about to figure out he's going to eat the swine's food. And he would have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. There was nobody that had mercy on him. He was starving, but he's in a strange country. Nobody cares about him. And so he has a job to feed the swine, and now he's considering eating the swine's food. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. So there's this acknowledgement now of his condition, that the leaven that was in him. And so he realizes, you know, my father has hired servants who, who have plenty of food. So even if he takes me back, I don't even have to be a son. If he just takes me back as a servant, I'd rather serve my father rather than serve these strange people who have no compassion. And I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. So this, this, is, this is how God thinks. So this is all to do with the uh, Pharisees accusing him of eating and drinking with the, the publicans and the sinners. And, and Christ is showing that you do not have the heart of God. And he's showing to his disciples the leaven of the Pharisees, that they present themselves as the leaders, the shepherds of God. But they're anything but they are children of the devil. And so beware that this doesn't happen to you. And now he's exposing, this, this is how God thinks. So these publicans and sinners that are, that are sitting with me and eating with me and I'm, I'm talking to them about the kingdom of God and they're learning and they're coming to repentance. God in heaven is rejoicing while you're furious because you're of your father, the devil. And, and this, um, this really is what Jeremiah the prophet saw, this repentance in Israel. In Jeremiah 31, verse 18, he says, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. You have chastised me, and I was chastised. As a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke, so when you're training an animal that just doesn't want to be domesticated, and they're chastising you, turn you me, and I shall be turned, for you are the Lord my God. Surely after that I was turned, I repented, and after that I was instructed. I smote upon my thigh, I was ashamed. Yes, even confused, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. And now listen to God. How does God respond to this repentance in Israel? He says, Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For since I spoke against him, I do earnestly remember him still. This is the love of a father. Therefore, my bowels are troubled for him. It's like this depth of pain that God has for his child. I will surely... Have mercy upon him, says the Lord. So these scribes and Pharisees, they do not understand the heart of God. And yes, God is going to punish his people, but his people are like his, they're, they're his, Israel is his firstborn. And he's going to have compassion upon them. And so this is what they did not understand. Back to Luke 15, verse 21. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. 
and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. And so now the son wants to go on and say, let me be like one of your hired servants. But the father said unto his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. So Christ is telling them something, a very deep spiritual truth. This is how God relates to his people. And this is why Christ has come to earth. And this is what Simeon saw, that this is the Messiah. And, and he came as a baby. So surely Simeon understood the scriptures that first he has to come as a human with the mission of redemption. Then he will come back as a king with the mission of retribution. But these people don't understand that. And so here, this is the understanding. He's coming to, to save his people with the mission of redemption. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And you servants put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And so this is, again, this is, this is a very kind of an allusion back to Genesis uh, with Joseph. When, when Joseph was in the pit and went through his hard life, and then Pharaoh in verse 41 and 41, and Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures or robes of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. So all of that is symbolic of how Joseph has been exalted in the land. And the authority that Pharaoh has, he's putting this authority on Joseph. So these servants, when they're taking the father's ring and they're bringing out the best robe and they're putting shoes, these special shoes on his feet, these servants are now having to acknowledge the role of authority that the father's son has in the household. Back to Luke 15, verse 23. And bring here the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. This is the joy that God has over repentance. And let's sit down and eat together and rejoice and, and let's throw a party. Let, 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 let's have joy here. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. And now this meal that God is putting on for the prodigal son. It's the same meal that earlier Christ was saying to his disciples that with the parable, go out and invite the people to the meal. And, oh, you know, I just got married and I can't come. And, and so he's going to the highways and byways and invite them. Because this is a very special meal of rejoicing. And it actually points back to Isaiah 25 when the people in Jerusalem repent, and God then says in verse, uh, verse 6 of Isaiah 25, And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the least, so the best wine, a feast of fat things is like the best meats, the best wine, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the least, well refined. God knows how to throw a party. And this is the feast that he's going to throw rejoicing over the repentance of his people. Remember, Christ said, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And so there is going to be this repentance in Jerusalem. And this is the prodigal son that comes back. And God is going to rejoice and throw this meal. And so that's what he's alluding to uh, in Isaiah 25. And so back to uh, Luke 15, he says, let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead. So again, Judah is dead. That's why Christ says, you know, you, you, you uh, have locked up the keys to the kingdom. You won't go in 
and you're preventing everybody else from going in, and so Judah is dead. But now he's alive again, so there is going to be repentance in Judah. He was lost and is found, and they began to be married. Now his elder son was in the field. So the elder son now, the, the um, younger son, represents the publicans and sinners who have repented. The elder son represents the scribes and Pharisees who are in leadership positions. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. So it's like, what is going on? So he, he would have no idea because this, the younger son was gone for years. It would never occur to him, probably they thought that the, the boy was dead. It would never occur to him that he would come back. And if he came back, it would never occur to him that his father would throw a party to celebrate his return. And so he has no idea what is going on. But clearly there's a big celebration going on. And he was not aware. It wasn't planned. And he was not aware of it. So he called the servant to find out what's going on. And he said unto him, Your brother has come. And your father has killed the fatted calf. So there's this calf that has been fattening. Maybe there's some other um, uh, celebration that's coming up and they're preparing for that. But now this fatted calf is being slaughtered for this celebration. So your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. That's why they, that's why they're celebrating. And the elder brother, he was angry and he would not go in. Therefore his father came out and begged him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve you. Neither transgressed I at any time your commandment. And yet you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. So it's all about me. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And this self-centeredness, this focus on self, is leaven. When we puff ourselves up and we exalt ourselves and we think that we're better than others, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And that's what Christ is teaching his disciples now, what this leaven looks like. And so now they can look at these Pharisees who before Christ, they would have seen as great religious leaders. And they would go to the temple and take direction from these men and now Christ is exposing what's really in their hearts. You never gave me a kid that I make, make, might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this, as soon as this, you can hear the despising. But as soon as this, your son was come, which has devoured your living with harlots, you have killed him for him, the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, you are ever with me. And all that I have is yours. So, you know, the half or the whatever the percentage is, probably a third would go to the younger son and double, two thirds would go to the older son. So the third that went to the younger son is gone. All that's left now is the two thirds. The father is still alive. So he's still controlling that wealth. But he's saying to him, this is this, the, what's left, it's all yours. All that I have is yours. So what's the problem here? It was appropriate that we should make merry and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So, so it was totally appropriate for, for us to rejoice. I, you know, come on. This, this is, uh, where's your heart? Where's your, where's your humanity? Where's, where's your sense of family bond here? And so now through this analogy, through this, this parable, the disciples can get an understanding of the heart of the Pharisees 
and that what is going to be exposed in time, what they must beware of. So that is Luke chapter 15. What we'll do now is uh, we'll get on the conference call and hopefully some of our brethren there in the West Indies will be able to join us as well as our Sister Abinal here. So let me uh, just play a little interlude music, uh, Sister Abinal's piece, O People of the Earth, and then uh, we'll be back on the line shortly. Hold on and we'll have a bit of a discussion. Africa, America, Australia, God is calling here his voice. Oh, people of the earth, children of the universe, why can't you be? Faithful and true All that is done for you All that is brought you through Yet you found your own way And you chose not to pray Stop Be still Hi, this is Adrian. Uh, who do we have on the line? Hi there, who's on the line? Hi there, Brother Stephen, how are you? Good, good. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, do we have anyone else on the line? Okay, so uh, Brother Stephen, hopefully you were able to uh, join us uh, for the entirety of the study. And uh, what we like to do at this time, uh, actually, maybe you can introduce yourself. Uh, where are you? There, we have uh, people who are listening all over the West Indies, some are in Europe, some are in different parts of the world. Uh, but it's a channel that goes uh, that a lot of West Indians and expats uh, listen to. So maybe you could just uh, take a moment to introduce yourself. And if you have your radio playing, if you can just uh, turn that off or mute that, because we're, we're getting a bit of uh, echo. And I'm not hearing, I'm getting a message that people are not hearing you. I'm, I'm not hearing you either. I was hearing you earlier, but I'm not hearing you now. I'm not hearing you at all. Yeah, make sure, uh, Brother Stephen, that you're listening to me through the phone and not through the radio because there is a delay. And so if you're listening to the radio, when I ask you a question, we have to wait the 30 or 60 seconds for the delay to kick in before we get your answer. But if you listen to me on the phone, uh, you'll hear me right away. Hi, right, Sister Abinel. Hi, Sister Abinel. Greetings. How are you? Good, good. We have uh, Brother Stephen Scale on the line as well, and he was just about to introduce himself. Wonderful. Wonderful. So, uh, Brother Stephen and uh, Sister Abinel, uh, your thoughts were focused on Luke chapter 15. We did do Luke 14 last week, but we didn't get a chance to do the discussion on that. 
So uh, any questions, comments from either 14 or 15? Sure, no problem. And I'll, I'll, I'll probably have to just repeat your question. So uh, some people might not be able to hear you. They can hear me okay. So I can hear you. Um, but when you, uh, I'm not sure, but go ahead and ask the question and I'll go ahead and I'll repeat it. Well, G yes, Jesus Christ said that. Yes, so let's go back to that scripture in Luke uh, 14. Actually, sorry, that was Luke 13. Let's just quote. Uh, let's just quote uh, Christ's words directly. So, sorry, the question, uh, in case uh, people did not hear, Sister Abinell, she wanted to know how is it that the kingdom of God is like leaven. Well, here uh, we said that you know Christ warned his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and then he told them what it is. It's hypocrisy. And then here in chapter 13 and verse uh, verse 18, he says, "Unto what is the kingdom of God like? And what whereunto shall I resemble it? What, what's it like?" He says, "It's like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took." and cast in his garden. And it grew and waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. But then he didn't stop there. So he said, on the one hand, the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed. So it's like the smallest possible seed. But then it grows into this mighty tree. But again, he said in verse 20, where unto shall I liken the kingdom of God? So this is immediately after telling his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, because there's nothing hid that shall not be exposed. So he did that in chapter 12. So now he says, the kingdom of God, what shall, what it's, what's it like? It's like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal. So remember, the kingdom of God is the kingdom of Israel. It's the king, that's why in Acts 1, they said, is, is this the time you will restore the kingdom to Israel? So the kingdom of God is on earth, and it's going to be in Israel. So it's really the kingdom of Israel. Because God is the God of Israel. So now he says here in verse 21, it's like leaven. So first, it's like a mustard seed, which a man, that is God, took and cast into his garden, that is Judah. So God came from heaven to earth in Judah. But it's also like a woman, which took leaven and hid it in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened, the whole thing became leavened. Well, to the Jewish mind, to the Jewish ear, Leaven is never a good thing. Leaven from, from Deuteronomy, from the Torah, represents sin. And it's the nature of sin to, to be insidious, to creep in and then take over. And so he's saying this is what the kingdom of God, really the kingdom of Israel, is like. That the very people, the very covenant people that are selected to be in this communal relationship with God will ultimately be corrupted because of hypocrisy. And that's why he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And now he's saying, so there's these two contradictory forces. That's what the kingdom of God is like. The very people of God, some of them are going to be in the devil's camp. 
and some of them are going to be in God's camp. And these forces are going to be in, in contradiction one to the other. Yeah, it's very, and that's why in verse 23, when the disciples heard this, one of them said unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? They, they understood clearly what this meant, that this woman comes and hides. And, and that's why he, he uses the language very carefully as well, that it's a woman. So the, the man is on the mustard seed side, but it's a woman hiding, doing something secret in the three measures of meal. That's on the leaven side. And that's why in Luke 12, when he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And that's why in verse 2 he says, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. So this woman who comes and hides the leaven, which is hypocrisy, is going to appear one way on the outside, but there's something else happening on the inside, and she's hiding that. He's warning the disciples it's going to be exposed. Very good. Uh, Brother Stephen, did you have any thoughts, comments, questions on the chapter? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so just in case um, others did not hear what Brother Stephen is saying, with the mustard seed, uh, there are uh, the, the seed then grows into this mighty tree and has these great branches, and the birds are then able to lodge in the branches. And I think the, the question was, what is the significance of the branches? Is that right? Brother Stephen? Was it the birds or the branches you were asking about? I'm not sure if you can hear me. I think it was the branches. So what is the significance of the branches? Um, and, and again, this is something I haven't uh, spent a lot of time thinking this one through, but clearly the idea is that from this little seed, uh, this the, the, the kingdom of God spreads, and it spreads with strength. So, so even, from this, the, even from this seed and the root, when it spreads, it's not a sort of flimsy, weak branch that's out there that if you land on it, you, you know, it's not going to support you. It spreads with strength, and, and, and it's solid. It's, it, it's, it spreads with stability, so that mankind, pictured by the birds, can then come and lodge in it and be supported by it. It's not, it's not even though it starts in the smallest way, when it grows into its maturity, it is solid and it is powerful and it's able to support all of mankind. Hopefully, brother, I don't know, brother Stephen, you might be on mute. You, you might be talking to us, but we can't hear you because you've muted your line. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah, so that's uh, that's how I would interpret that. Yes. Yeah, and again, for those who uh, may not have heard Brother Stephen, he was saying that in other places in the scripture, 
uh, birds can have negative consequences. And it gave us an example in the book of Revelation, uh, the fowls of the air have a, have a, a negative symbolism. Uh, and so that certainly is true. I would say, given the context of Luke uh, 13, when he uses this parable and he's showing the two opposing forces, that on the one hand, God is behind the, the initiative of the, uh, the mustard seed. And then Satan is really behind the, the initiative of the leaven. And these two forces are in contradiction to one another that the work that God is doing, and it waxes into a great tree so that the fowls of the air were able to, you know, set up home in the branches of it, that this is really the, the benefit uh, of mankind. If anything, uh, Brother Stephen, I would say perhaps the fowls then might represent the Gentile nations, that, that there's this understanding, and, and the Jews themselves don't understand this, that God is establishing the covenant community, and, and right now that's in Judah, ultimately be Judah and Israel, as the head nation, not for their own benefit, but he wants to establish them as the head nation for the light of the Gentiles, to bring the Gentiles to repentance. And so I would say, if anything, the fowls of the air would represent the Gentiles benefiting from the kingdom of God. And, and this is where people hate the Jews, but they're hating their own salvation because salvation is in the Jews. Yes, yes, very good. Uh, Sister Abinel, thoughts, comments? Yeah, so that, that scripture that you're quoting, it's in uh, Jeremiah. <clears throat> it's in Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, where he says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. And this is one of those verses, Sister, that... Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I should... Uh, pardon me. Uh, Sister Abinel was asking the question around Jeremiah 29 verse 11, this verse, that uh, says, you know, God has thoughts of peace and not evil and, and, and wants to bless his people. And yet, I was saying last week and again this week, that when Christ calls his disciples, he's calling us to spiritual warfare, to a battle. And he says, if you're not serious, don't come. Because you have to take up your cross 
if you're going to follow me and be willing to lose everything if you're going to follow me. And yet at the same time, we know that there are blessings to his people. So that was uh, Sister Avenel's question, quoting specifically Jeremiah 29, verse 11. So this verse... Uh, it, I see. Yeah, I, I can hear you okay, and hopefully um, the, the radio audience can hear us okay. But uh, let me just continue here to say, so... And what are you hearing, uh, Brother Stephen? Is my voice all right? Okay. Yes. So let me let me just continue this. Uh... Well, let me just first answer this question. Let me first answer this question, Sister. Uh, I'm just going to answer this question for you, um, and that is that uh, Jeremiah 29 verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, uh, to give you an expected end. And uh, just make sure here. Yes, can you hear me okay? Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. So this, um, what I want to say here is that this is a verse that has to be read in context. If you read the verse right before it, verse 10, he says, For thus says the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you. That is Judah. He's speaking specifically to the people of Judah that, that Babylon is going to come in. They're going to conquer Jerusalem. They're going to conquer Judah. They're going to take them away captive. And, and through Jeremiah, God is saying that captivity is only going to last 70 years. And at the end of 70 years, you will be brought back to Jerusalem. And because this is God's plan, he tells the people of Judah, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. And so this is what we need to understand, what Jeremiah is, and all the prophets are saying the same thing, that as much as God is going to punish his people, the Jews, he's also going to reestablish them. And so in the end, there's an expected end for this people. And we have to read the prophecies carefully to understand that. So, so that, that particular verse is speaking of a specific situation where the Jews were to be carried away into captivity for 70 years, but then they would be brought back to Jerusalem because God is intending to establish them as the head nation. Now, that's not to say, though, as Christians who are spiritual Jews, we are grafted into Judah. We are, we are the true spiritual Jews because a Jew is one who praises God. Judah means praising God, and a Jew is one who praises God. And Paul says, who is a Jew? But he, a true Jew is one that is a Jew inwardly. So, so even though there are still the physical Jews, and God will bring them to repentance and to know Christ, the real Jew today is the one with the Holy Spirit. And not until the physical Jews receive the Holy Spirit will they be considered true Jews. So here now, the Christian, in our walk, yes, there are blessings. And yes, God, he says, you know, whoever desires a wife desires a good thing. And God obtains favor of the Lord if you have a wife. And so many of us are blessed with a Christian marriage. And, and there are many blessings that we receive in this walk. But the gospel, the preachers of a gospel that says, follow Christ and everything will go well for you. Follow Christ and you'll be rich. This is a false gospel. Christ said, don't follow me unless you're willing to sacrifice everything for me. So then, if we're willing to sacrifice everything for him, any blessing that we receive in this life, 
uh, on this side of the resurrection, it's a bonus. We are we are we are so grateful. We're not expecting. We're not saying I expect to be rich. I expect a brand new car. I expect a brand new house. I expect fine clothing. I expect a spouse. No, we don't expect anything. You know, we 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 really expect God to look after our needs, and He knows best because we can get blessings that ruin us, and so He knows what we need, and we trust Him. And yes, there are blessings, but those blessings come as a bonus. Any anything we have, the cup is half full. As opposed to looking at the cup and saying it's half empty because we thought we'd get a full cup. No, we, we don't expect anything except the Lord's guidance. And, and we know he cares for us and he'll bless us and look after us. And so anything we receive at his hand, praise God. And if we have to suffer persecution, praise God. And if we have to suffer loss, praise God. And that's what God wants from us. And I know you were going to ask a, a question about tongues, but let me just check with uh, Brother Stephen and see uh, if he had a thought or comment or question. Yes. hearing you very clearly, and those are very insightful comments, but just in case the radio audience didn't hear that, uh, Brother Stephen quoted Acts 14, verse 22, saying, confirm, confirm the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. So, so it's very clear that tribulation is a part of the package, and he went on to say that in Peter, First uh, Peter, there are passages that show there that the people of God must suffer persecution, must suffer per tribulation. And certainly when we read in Revelation, there's, there's tribulation to suffer. And so this uh, this gospel that's being preached was it's a prosperity gospel that just turns to God and everything's going to go right in your life. And if anything's going wrong, it's because there's some sin in your life. And if you repent of it, then everything's going to go well. This is a false gospel. And so we must be prepared to suffer for Christ. But certainly God is going to bless us with, with uh, many, many benefits because that's, that's the nature of God. He wants to bless us, but we are willing, you know, you know, we came into this earth naked. And so, you know, we're going to die. We're not going to take anything with us except the character that we build. And that's the key. Great, great, great comment, uh, Brother Stephen. Uh, Sister Avenel, did you have another uh, comment or question? So this is a great question. So Sarah, Sister Avenel, again, I'm hearing you clearly, but maybe the radio audience isn't hearing. Uh, what is the comparison between pride, ego, and leaven? How, how do those things associate uh, together? 
Uh, so if we look in uh, Leviticus chapter 23, there the uh, holy days of God are outlined. And so again, for our radio audience, uh, many of you, if you are Christians, you're familiar with the Bible, very few pastors will point you to Leviticus chapter 23. And in Leviticus chapter 23, God says, these are my holy days. He doesn't say these are the holy days of the Jews or these are the holy days of the Israelites. He says, these are my holy days. And he begins with the weekly Sabbath. But then he goes on to outline the annual Sabbaths. And one of these feasts, one of these celebrations, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where for seven days the people of God are to get rid of all the leaven out of their homes and to only consume unleavened bread. And this is very symbolic. God is a very symbolic God. This is very symbolic, where leaven is a symbol of sin. And sin, the root of sin, if we go to uh, Isaiah 14, we see that the root of sin, let me just call up the scripture here, Isaiah 14, where God is speaking about what happened to Satan. And he says here in Isaiah 14, beginning in verse 12, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? So this, this archangel Lucifer, who was a glorious being, he fell. And, and Isaiah is posing the question, how did this happen? How are you cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations or destroy the nations? And then he answers the question. For you said in your heart, and this is again where Christ says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. It takes place in the heart. And the, the root of this is Satan. For you said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. This is the pride now. This is, I, I'm going to be high. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And this is why God says, he that exalts himself will be humiliated. And so the reason uh, Lucifer was humiliated is because he exalted himself. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. So this is where sin began. Sin began with Satan, with Lucifer. Sorry, I shouldn't say Satan. Satan. He became Satan. He became the adversary. But at the time, he was the bringer of light. And somehow, because of his glorious self, he began to look at himself and think, like, why shouldn't I be God? Why, why are the angels worshiping God? They should be worshiping me. And this is the beginning of sin. So the beginning of sin is ego. The beginning of sin is self-centeredness. The beginning of sin is pride. And so the the people of God had to learn this lesson that God loves humility and God himself is humble. He was God and he came to earth as a man and he humbled himself. He, he, he was unleavened. And so this is, this is the, the core lesson in life. And, and Christians, we struggle with this our whole Christian walk. And this is why every year we keep these holy days because they, they are experiential lessons. And every year we experience a, a different aspect and understanding of of how leaven plays a role in our lives and how we have to get rid of it. And so when Christ says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, we all want to be thought well of. Everybody wants to, you know, I want people to think well of me. But when God looks at me, he sees righteousness that's as filthy rags. And the only righteousness I have is in Christ. So if people don't think well of me, if people insult me, I should not be defensive. 
I should be like, you know what? There but for the grace of God go I. All the glory is to Christ. But we're, as Christians, we don't do this. We take offense. We're upset. How dare somebody speak to me like that? And this is the leaven taking over because we're being hypocrites. We're wanting to exalt ourselves. It's a, it's a very deep walk, sister, that we're involved in. But God will help us. God is going to help us along the way. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So uh, afterwards, we can just call in and have, have a conversation. They can introduce themselves, and, and we can go ahead and just uh, have a conversation. Absolutely. Uh, Brother Stephen, uh, thoughts, comments, uh, questions before we wrap up? Wonderful, wonderful, and thanks so much. Well, we praise God. We all we all have our part in the body. We all Stephen, did you hear? Amen. Amen, sister. We we all have a role in the body, and the body can the body cannot function with just the nose or just the eyes or just the feet or just, we we all need each other. And as a body, that's how Christ's work moves forward. Wonderful. Well, I thank you so much, uh, Sister and, and Brother Stephen. I thank you both uh, for your participation and your attention and your desire and zeal for God's Word. Uh, let's do this again, God willing, next week. We'll be on to Luke chapter 16. Uh, radio audience, thanks so much for tuning in. God bless you. Tune in next week, and we will, God willing, cover Luke chapter 16, line upon line. God bless. God bless.